Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you. And indeed, all glory be to you because of Christ. We've come out of a season which, once again, we're reminded that you're the promise keeper. And Lord, uh, that baby in Bethlehem is a testimony to it. But not only did you keep your promise, you sent your son, but your son came and died on a cross and provided us access to you through the cleansing of sin that was accomplished by his death on the cross and his victory over death and the resurrection from the tomb. Lord, uh, for some, 2023 has been a very, very difficult year. (laughs) They've lost loved ones. Sitting around the Christmas table was very lonely. Spots were missing. For some, it's wayward children who haven't been seen for a long time. For others, it's children declaring they're pursuing a life of sin, or it's a marriage that has dissolved, or it's the diagnosis of cancer. Lord, and in the midst of all of this crud and all that this world unleashes, we are so grateful, Christ. And Lord, I just pray as we go to the text this morning that it would be a glorious reminder of all that we have because of your, your sovereign hand, the one who keeps his word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Well, I hope by now you have your New Year's resolutions ready. 12 o'clock is coming ever so fast. As we look to 2024, I know there are hopeful predictions such as Purdue's men's basketball team will win the NCAA championship, or I will complete my reading of War and Peace, or artificial intelligence will figure out how to clean my kitchen. You know, there's all these great things that we hope that will occur in 2024. There's also an ominous predictions that the news has been highlighting. I'm sure you've seen some of these, whether it relates to political concerns, healthcare, the economy, crime, ethics, the potential of war. And certainly as we've gleaned from the last few years, a new year entails many unknowns, doesn't it? We can predict all we like, and undoubtedly, some speculations are more educated than others, but at the end of the day, they're all predictions, and only that. However, Hebrews 10, as I was wrestling several months ago, what text do we look at on the eve of going into a new year? What do we look at as a text for us? And I was doing research this week on Hebrews 10. I found an article from the 1930s that had selected this very passage as the devotional going into the new year. And I thought, you know, this is very apropos because it's an assurance of who we are in Christ for those who know Jesus, for what he's accomplished, what he's doing, and what he will do. And we're called to hold fast to faith, to hope, and love. And so I pray that this passage is encouraging to you as it has been to me the last few weeks. 
19 through 25 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, is one very long sentence. Uh, all you kids in school don't do that. That's a, kind of a run-on, but not in the Greek. And so let's read it together. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the flesh, a living way that he inaugurated for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in the assurance that faith brings. Because we have had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess. For the one who's made the promise is trustworthy. And let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other in even more so because you see the day is drawing near. I'm plopping us into the, into the middle of a letter. Some have said it's a sermon. And the writer of Hebrews has been laying out since chapter 4 Christ is better than anything that we have had in the past. It's written primarily to Jewish believers. But he says, Christ is better than the high priest. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than the sacrifice. This is our Christ that we serve. He said, and, and so this passage here in 19 through 21 actually echoes chapter 4 of Hebrews let me read it to you. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. You're saying, this all sounds familiar. Yes, there's eight parallels with chapter 10. It says, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Remember, he came flesh. He dwelt among us. And it says, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Chapter 4, chapter 10 is bookending this section. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen to, listen to what Christ has done and what you have. He tells us, those of us who've placed our faith in Christ, we have two possessions. Notice this, verse 19. Since we have... Here it is, confidence or boldness. It's, it's a word that means it's free and fearless. It's a, a cheerful assurance. It's the boldness that comes, and notice what it's based on. The text tells us to enter the sanctuary by, here it is, the blood of Christ. Several times throughout the writer, the, throughout Hebrews, our writer will highlight the blood of Christ and it's always directly linked with our salvation. Hebrews 9 says, He entered Christ once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And so the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 9 says, Hey, or 10, you've, you've got the blood of Christ, and you've got his flesh together, they bring us access into the very throne room of God. The idea here of blood and flesh certainly indicates the sacrificial death of Christ. But it isn't just Golgotha. It isn't just 
what we celebrate at Good Friday and Easter, it's also Christmas. They all go together. He became flesh and he died on a cross for us. And so, in our boldness, we can enter into the very throne room of God, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Years ago, my colleague and I had taken some students overseas to visit the European museums. Uh, we tied it in with biblical archaeology. And my colleague, we were at the Louvre, and that day the section on Egyptology was closed. Now, for a New Testament guy, not a big to-do. For my colleague who's Old Testament, he was breaking out in a rash. And he said, oh, no, 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 this can't be. Um, and what you didn't realize is we'd already missed a day because two of our students had their passports stolen. So we'd spent that day in the embassy. So that's a whole other story. And, and so he said, I got it. He said, there's an artifact right there. I can see it beyond the rope, and it fits right in with the text. He goes, I'm just going to go under the rope and see it. <laughs> I, I said, I don't think that's very wise. But he did. And no sooner said, and there was a SWAT team. I mean, they were, they were coming from the ceiling. They were coming everywhere. I thought for sure we were going to be barred from France for the rest of our life. We don't need to break in into the throne room of the Lord. We don't walk in sheeplessly. We don't have to crawl under a rope. We don't have to second guess whether this is going to work or not. No, 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 no. We come because we've been purified by the blood of Christ. Wow. You look at 2024, and for some of you, as I look across this room, it's a little daunting. It's hard. There's not a lot of hope. Not a lot of glimmer. Don't miss this. The one who promised who came is also the one who says, oh, no, no, no. I bring you in. You have boldness to come. I love the prayer of Nancy Lee DeMoss in a place of quiet rest. She says, oh God, make us desperate. Grant us faith and boldness to approach your throne and make our petitions known, knowing that in doing we link arms with omnipotence and become instruments of your eternal purposes being fulfilled on this earth. Wow. And notice the writer of Hebrews in verse 20 says, it's by a fresh and living way. If you lived in the Old Testament, you didn't have access to the throne room. You didn't have access to the Holy of Holies. It was only allowed once a year for the high priest. And Leviticus 16 states, And he, the high priest, shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense. On it goes, and it says, You go in the cloud of the incense, will cover the mercy seat that's over the testimony. And listen to the last line, so that he does not die. In the Old Testament, it was dread. It was fear to come into the presence of God. We have a new way. <laughs> it's been accomplished by Christ. And there is life in this one. I love that he said it. it's a living way. There, there's no fear of, of death when we come in before the Lord. And he accentuates this, the writer does, because he says we, we come through the curtain it's that tapestry that separated the two inner rooms within the temple or the tabernacle. By the time of Jesus, according to the ancient writer Josephus, it took 300 men, priests, to hang that curtain. It was the th thickness of the palm of your hand. And he said, we now have access 
Because the curtain was to, to indicate that the hiddenness of God and his inaccessibility. But as the writer of Hebrews 6 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner. If I took you to Bethlehem, to the church of the nativity, and we go down to the grotto where Jesus was supposedly born, there's this huge curtain that's pulled back. You'll wait at least 45 minutes to get in, and there's pushing and shoving, and you're only in there for nanoseconds. And then on you go. Every time I'm down there, I say, Lord, thank you that we have 24-7 access to your throne room. I don't have to wait in a line. I don't have to crawl under a rope. <laughs> Christ opened the way. And no doubt there's an illusion here of the curtain ripping and rendering in Matthew 27 when Christ said it is finished on the cross. But he's not done. Not only do we have confidence, notice in verse 21, the writer of Hebrews says, oh, by the way, you also have a great high priest. Not only do we have access, we have continual representation here as believers in Jesus. This one who he says is in charge of the house of God, a phrase he used back in chapter 3. This speaks of the relationship we have. We're brought into the intimacy with the Father. I can't think of a, a greater comfort as we look to 2024. One prediction you can count on is if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got boldness and you have a high priest. Consequently, the writer gives us three exhortations, three New Year's resolutions, so to speak, here in light of what Christ has accomplished. And look, let's look at these. Starting in verse 22, he says, Let us draw near. Now, he is not referring to, this is not an invitation to accept Christ and come in. No, he's talking to believers. Notice he uses the first person plural, let us. He's a believer. He's identifying with the believers. I remember my old Greek prof, he said it's a honeymoon salad. Let us, right? Let us draw near. We're in this together. And he says, we have this assurance that comes as we draw into the presence of the Lord. We have access for the forgiveness of sins, our failings, and our transgressions. We can enter into the presence of the Lord as we whisper our heartaches and secret sorrows into the ear of our sympathetic high priest sitting on the throne of mercy. We can come to find identity and intimacy in the one who's invited us into fellowship with him. We can draw nigh with our doubts and fears to find a loving arm of assurance the one who's overcome the world. We can come and share our joys and our praises with the one who's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We enter to find strength and power in our battle against the enemy as we approach the Almighty. And we can go in the hour of death, committing our body and soul to the one who is victorious over the grave. Remember, he knows. Bethlehem testifies to this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He entered into our world. He knows our weaknesses, our frailty. He's aware of agony, betrayal, injustices, disappointments. 
The Son of God became man in order that he might provide us access to the Father. <laughs> There's an old hymn that I love the lyrics to, uh, The Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust my sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to veil his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then in all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. In each of these calls or New Year's resolutions, he gives us the reason. But before he gives us the reason to this one, he also gives us the manner Notice what he states, with a sincere heart in the assurance that faith brings. There's a transformation that confirms that there has been a change in our heart. If you've not been cleansed, if, if you've not come to Jesus for salvation, you can't come with a sincere heart. You cannot enter beyond the curtain because Christ is the curtain. It's through him. There's no other means. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the sincerity speaks not only of purity, but a heart that's genuinely committed to the things of the Lord. And I love the phrase, in the assurance that faith brings. There is a certainty, there is a conviction in what Christ has done. Why? Again, he's going to give us a reason, and he'll do that for all three that we're going to see he states that our bodies have been washed in pure water. Now, he's not referring to baptism, which we have as an ordinance for the church. It doesn't fit the context at all. The context he's talking about is equating it to what would happen in the Old Testament rituals and all that, that imagery that included purification rites. I believe the two parallels are similar, or the parallels are similar, making a general connection between what Christ as accomplished and a fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, which states, I will sprinkle you clean with water, you will be clean. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. Notice that the actions are perfect passive. In other words, it's, it, we didn't sprinkle ourselves. It's what Christ has accomplished, and which is key here. And so in your notes, I have a challenge there. Number one for 2024 how will your heart evaluate the trustworthiness of God's word? I love that our theme for the Christmas season was a promise fulfilled. How will your faith find assurance in the scriptures and safeguard having a critical and doubting spirit? Are we picking and choosing? Are we looking to worldly wisdom and our feelings and experience? Are we looking to the word of God as the bedrock? So let me give you a few challenges for 2024. Let me challenge you to maybe perhaps memorize those fighter verses that are included there in your bulletin. Maybe you need to read through the Bible this year. Maybe that's a bit ambitious. Pick the New Testament. Pick the Old Testament. Just get past Leviticus and Numbers and you'll be fine, right? No, that's not true. All scriptures God breathes. But you can't get bogged down with those in the genealogy. Maybe start with the book of Psalms and the Proverbs. Participate in a Bible study. 
and daily devotion. Perhaps that's the route you want to go. But being in the word, reminded of the truths that we have that gives us confidence and a faith that is assured. Yes, this is the Lord speaking. Well, he's not done. He says, first of all, let us draw near with this faith. But then he says in verse 23, let us hold unwavering in the hope that we confess. What hope? What's he talking about? Verses 19 through 21. It's what Christ has accomplished. That we have the confidence to come. That we do have a high priest. And notice what he says about this hope. We're to hold on to it unwaveringly. This past week we had my side of the family over for two days. And my, I don't know what the relationship is. My niece's daughter. So second niece, I don't know. Anyway, she's, she's only a year and a half. And we had a nephew who was only uh, less than a year. And they both got toys for Christmas. And of course, you know how it goes. The oldest saw his toys and said, ooh, that's nice. So she grabbed onto one of the toys. Now, thankfully, no one was crying, but she wouldn't let go of that toy. She was holding on unwaveringly. We tried all sorts of distractions, candy, uh, jumping up and down. She wasn't going to let go of it. This is the idea here. We don't let anything distract us. Cancer? Wayward son, daughter? Struggle in the job? Whatever the case, we hold fast. Why? Notice what the text tells us. For the one who made the promise, here it is, is trustworthy. Hmm. It's through the darkest clouds and deepest valleys our hope sees Christ, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. If it weren't for the clouds and the valleys, we would have missed much of the beauty of Jesus. Oh, I'm not saying it isn't easy. And do, we, do we go fighting, screaming, and angry through the valley? <laughs> or do we bask in the presence of our Lord, coming boldly into his throne room, trusting and allowing the Lord to vindicate, to sustain, to protect, to heal? It's hard, isn't it? And yet he invites us in and he says, I'm here. You have assurance of that. I'll neither leave you nor forsake you. And in the darkest and deepest valleys, our hope hones in on Christ. Secondly, our hope rests securely in the promises of God. You've got the gift receipt. Right? You opened up the gifts, and there it is, and so if it doesn't fit, you can take it back. You don't need to fret, oh no, what am I going to do with this? No, 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 no. We have assurance. Our hope goes beyond death, the grave. This isn't it. Yay. There's a glorious hope, and it's living, according to 1 Peter 1, and which the writer of Hebrews has already highlighted. The grasp of, our, of the hope is unwavering because our recognition of the invincible sovereignty of God. He is in charge, and our God keeps his promises, doesn't he? Hmm. Again, just look to Bethlehem. We just celebrated Christmas. It's God who keeps his promises. 
And so for challenge number two, as we look to 2024, how will you rest in the midst of life's difficulties? How will you find joy because you know Christ? I mean, Paul writes in Philippians 4, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. He was not sitting on Cyprus Beach enjoying the good life when he wrote that. <laughs> Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and death was a very strong possibility. And he says, rejoice. Why? Because we know our God lives. Why? Because we have a high priest that allows us to come into the throne room. Why? Because we have a faith that is sure. And we have a hope that is rooted in who God is. So let me give you a few suggestions in this clinging to hope for 2024. I'll give you five. First of all, run to win. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul states, we look to the prize. We don't veer. Secondly, throw off the restraints. Hebrews 12, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Perhaps it's an area in your life you just need to slay. You need some accountability. You need to move forward. Here's a third. Don't look back. Press forward. Paul states in Philippians 3, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, this is Paul, forgetting what is behind and straining toward his ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Here's a fourth in clinging to hope. More of Christ and less of self. John 3. He must increase, John the Baptist says of Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. Wow. And finally, don't finish until you cross the line. I fought the good fight, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only to me, Paul says, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We have a great high priest. We have boldness to come to the throne room. And the writer of Hebrews says, man, you need to cling to faith. Hold on to hope. And he has one more, and that's a call to love. Here in verse 24, he says, let us take thought of how to spur one another on. These regular meetings, I'm preaching to the choir today. You're here on, on uh, New Year's Eve day. Well done. And, and, and notice that this believing and getting together is vital for the believers. Just this past week, a friend sent out a post-Christmas note of cheer to me and the rest of his 1,634 friends on Facebook. I felt very privileged. <laughs> he wrote this encouragement. He said, to everyone that received a book from me for Christmas, they're due back to the library next Friday. <laughs> Gotta love it. We have a responsibility to encourage, to exhort, and to admonish. The question scholars have debated is why have they stopped coming to the meetings? And the, the term gotten out of the habit suggests indifference, apathy, or just plain quitting. One commentator writes, the neglect of worship and fellowship was systematic of a catastrophic, catastrophic failure to appreciate the significance of Christ's priestly ministry and access to God provided. Regular attendance of worship is the proper response 
to what? What Christ has accomplished. The boldness that we have, that we have a high priest. Any other reason is secondary. It's what Christ has done that we gather. And notice he gives a why here as well. Notice the last line. Because you see the day drawing near. Time and time again in the New Testament, and I would argue Old Testament, eschatology, study of last things, drives the ethics. I've mentioned this before. I can remember my grandma saying, you don't want to be doing that when the Lord comes back. Her eschatology is driving her ethics. And I don't know about you, but I am praying that 2024, the Lord returns. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Second Peter 3 says, we need to be waiting and hastening for the day. And that serves as a drive for us in loving one another and, and moving forward. While we need to be of earthly good, I'm not saying that. You can be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. You've heard that saying. We need a healthy contemplation of the beauty of heaven and that Christ is going to return. It frees us from dependence upon earthly things. It enables us to respond appropriately to injustices and accusations. It produces the fruit of endurance and it encourages us to walk in righteousness. So the third challenge, there in your notes. How are you going to take advantage of your gathering with the saints to encourage one another to walk in love and good works? Well, let me give you a couple ideas. One is a note of encouragement, text, email, handwritten note. Certainly be praying. But we have boldness as a follower of Jesus Christ to come into the throne room of God. We have not only the boldness, but we have a high priest who's constantly interceding for us. And so, O oh church, may we grasp onto the faith that we have and the hope and the love. 2024 begins promptly at 12. Oh, whatever, tonight. Whether we're ready or not. And there will be certainly much uncertainty as we face these next 12 months. But one thing that is for sure, what is constant, is that nearly 2,000 years ago, we have boldness. We have a high priest because Christ came, he died, and he rose again. Christ is the firm foundation of our faith, the never-failing aspect and fountain of our hope, and the perennial allspring of our love. May God give us strength as we look to him in this next year. Father, we come to you and we thank you. We are grateful that your son came and provided us access to your very throne room. Lord, we are also grateful that your son is our high priest Lord, we are imperfect people that are in need of grace and mercy, and we are so thankful that our faith is sure, that our hope rests securely in your promises, and the love that springs out of us is because of the love you have lavished on us. And Lord, as the writer of Hebrews states, there's a day coming. Lord, hasten that day. 
Until then, we rest secure knowing those of us who've placed our faith in you, it is well with our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.